0: Welcome to CathLab Conversations. I'm CathLab Digest Managing Editor Rebecca Kapoor. Today we talk with Dr. Vinoy Prasad, Director of Interventional Cardiology, and Dr. Amar Mosin, both from the Loma Linda University International Heart Institute at Loma Linda University Medical Center, about their experience with the transradial approach for peripheral arterial disease intervention. Thank you for joining us.
1: I'm Vinoy Prasad. I'm the uh, director of interventional cardiology here at Loma Linda University Medical Center. So I'm an interventional cardiologist. I also do peripheral interventions and also TABR procedures.
0: And my name is Amir Mosen. I'm an interventional cardiologist doing the full scope of complex peripheral interventions, including fetal access, any grade access, fixing 100% occluded vessels. Currently at Loma Linda University, a big part of my practice is structural heart interventions. I still enjoy doing peripheral vascular interventions because it's a very important part of structural heart interventions. And the radial part of it is growing and the equipment is catching up with the field based on our coronary experience. Dr. Prasad and I also do a good volume of coronary interventions. So by default, we are very comfortable with radial access and radial interventions. coronary interventional field is more mature compared to the peripheral field in terms of equipment that is available. But I think we're lucky to have the comfort level using radial access. So both of us enjoy transferring this experience from the coronary field to the peripheral field and also to the structural field.
1: A little bit about Loma Linda. It's a academic university medical center. And it's the largest medical center in the Inland Empire, which is also a large catchment area. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Loma Linda University Health. I see a high prevalence of cardiovascular disease in the Inland Empire. And that's one of the things that we're very passionate about is, is treating our cardiology and interventional cardiology is treating our patients who have multiple cardiac uh, comorbidities, they may have uh, heart coronary artery disease, they may have peripheral arterial disease or structural heart disease. So we're very passionate about helping our patients. We also have a very robust general cardiology program, heart failure program, transplant program with Dr. Mosen coming to our medical center this past year and some other additions. We're, we've been growing the program as well, the endovascular interventions program.
0: To talk about the point of using radial access in peripheral vascular interventions, we know through our coronary experience that radial access is safer than coronary access it leads to less complications and in addition to that it provides patients comfort it's comfortable to go through the patient's wrist rather than the groin and also you're able to discharge the patient on the same day the limiting factor was first is the lack of comfort doing radial procedures in the peripheral field because some operators are more comfortable doing it from the groin second is the equipment In our case, Dr. Prasad and I, we do most of coronary cases through the wrist. So this part is taken care of. The good news is the manufacturers of the equipment uh, for peripheral interventions are catching up with more coronary interventionalists in the field who are comfortable with using radial access. Recently, we've been having atherectomy devices, devices that can deal with calcified vessels in the legs, And also we have drug-coated balloons available through radial access. It's really exciting that the peripheral vascular interventional field is moving this direction where a patient like the patient we've been addressing, you can actually do an intervention in both legs. You can do atherectomy, you can do ballooning, and you can do drug-coated balloon, and you can discharge the patient same day. So it is safe for the patient and it's comfortable as well. We've done it before with other patients patients with occluded vessels below the knee, we've done pedal access and externalization of the wire from radial access, which makes it very, very safe compared to the traditional groin access and pedal access. So we've done below the knee cases, through radial access, and the patient can go home safely in four
1: hours. To that point, I think I'm amazed at over the past 10 years, how much we can do with interventional cardiology, really with endovascular interventions, minimally invasive interventions. I mean, previously, patients with non-healing wounds in their feet or in their legs, these patients, their wounds may progress to the point where they may require amputation, which is something that carries very high morbidity and mortality. So we want to be able to store the circulation to to the foot, to that area that's not healing. And we're able to do that with the minimally invasive endovascular interventions. This is something that, especially in our, this population, they have, like we said, multiple cardiovascular comorbidities. So it's something that really puts them at higher risk of having complications from an open vascular surgical procedure. So the fact that we can offer this to our patients is actually really remarkable, and it's a testament to all the work that's been put into this field over the past, over two decades. Now, contemporary best practice in the coronary interventions is, is radial access. And we know this from multiple trials that basically we not only decrease bleeding risk, but we actually improve a patient's mortality, especially if they come in with these acute coronary syndromes. And going radial axis actually has a significant mortality benefit compared to femoral axis. And the same kind of principles that are beneficial to our patients in coronary interventions also apply to other arterial interventions, including endovascular interventions. And so the field in endovascular interventions is now realizing that these benefits that for transradial access also apply for endovascular interventions. And I think the companies are catching up and they're making these equipments. When you're going from the wrist, you really need longer catheters. You need longer balloon length. You're gonna use drug-coated balloons or any kind of balloons. You need longer shaft lengths of those equipment. Same with stents. The wires have to be very long as well. And doctors who are already doing transradial coronary interventions, now they're just shifting it over to the legs.
0: Also, I wanna touch on the role of um, radial peripheral interventions in structural procedures, which is a new thing and it is growing. Traditionally, in TAVR, we used to use groin access, and recently we've been using radial sheath and radial access, which is six French in size, instead of using the groin access. Also, I've seen increased use of selected paravalvular leak cases through the radial access versus the groin access. It's a skill set that coronary interventions nowadays have, and like Dr. Prasad said, following the same principles we use in coronary interventions, if you apply that to different fields, you can deliver the same results, but it is safer for the patient and it's more comfortable for the patient. In our case, at Loma Linda University, it's a tertiary center and we get sicker patients. In our case, in some patients, you have to be innovative you have to find what works for your patient. You you will have a patient who will have heart failure, coronary artery disease, peripheral arterial disease, and will need the structural intervention as well. And we have experts in different specialties, so we have the ability to sit down together and come up with what's better for the patient. And honestly, that helped us develop different strategies and come up with ways of doing complex procedures in patients that otherwise couldn't have had these procedures done. Like for example, we have another case of bilateral SFA intervention, same as the patient we're talking about coming to us in a week. So this is something that we're able to do frequently. And the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it. The more you do it in your CAT lab, the more your nurses and staff get comfortable with it. And also they see the good results. They see that the patients are able to go home shortly after the procedure, which makes everybody excited about these new type of procedures.
1: One of the things I want to mention also are, are the different technologies that we are using for the legs now. And especially the thing that's hampered really are endovascular inventions in past uh, over 10 years ago was really the patency rates. You can balloon open a, a blockage in the leg, but the Patency is very poor. I mean, you can put a stent in as well, and the patency is—we're talking about two-year patency rates, sixty percent or so. So these are patients who keep on coming back; they keep on restenosing their legs, and, and they keep on coming back, and it's a problem. I mean, we don't see that in coronary interventions. Our really our stents are that we put in have very very good patency rates, and probably close to uh, what they can achieve with surgery. One of the developments that has really Advanced endovascular interventions are the technologies, and we now have these new stents. These are very flexible stents, uh, nitinol uh, weave stents. We also have, more importantly, drug-coated balloons, and these are have been tested in multiple large trials. These are paclitaxel eluding drug balloons. And what we're seeing is that the patency rates are now not going to get coronary kind of results, but the patency rates are 80%, which is very, very good. And you actually can treat these superficial femoral arteries or the popliteal arteries without putting a stent in. So you can just use this drug-coated balloon and the patency is as good as a stent. The 80% patency rate is as good as the best stents that we have for the legs. So that's really, I think, a game changer in endovascular interventions that we can actually achieve durable results and our patient's quality of life is improved as a result. They don't keep on coming back for procedures. The fact that for this patient, for example, we did both legs at the same time. I mean, that's fantastic. Otherwise, this patient would have come back for separate procedures for each leg. And if you if you reach stenosis, same thing, separate procedures for each leg. So now we can go it go through the radial and treat both legs and use drug coated balloons. And just last year, they came up with the specific drug coated balloon that we use. They came up with these two hundred centimeter shaft lengths that are now able to reach right from the radial all the way down to the femoral pop, popliteal, superficial femoral artery and the popliteal artery. I, I think that's uh, the technology is really important and, and the kind of patency we can achieve these
0: days. And, and one more thing to add about how DCBs are very helpful in the peripheral field is it's difficult to treat peripheral arteries, same as coronaries, unfortunately, because usually have long lesions. So if you were to stent it, you're going to have to use very long stents, and these have higher rates of restenosis. The other issue is stent fracture, because the legs are exposed. The heart is inside the chest cage, protected by the ribs. So DCBs really addressed these issues by treating very long lesions with low rate of restenosis, and now the added benefit of doing that through radial access. A common question that we get all the time about radiation dose, about contrast dose with radial cases, we get the same questions about radial access for corner interventions. So generally speaking, the radiation dose in this day and age hasn't been increased in radial cases compared to femoral cases, but the key is doing it more frequently. So if you do it more frequently or more comfortable with it, it does not take longer time. Same for the contrast as well. If you do more radial cases and you have the correct tools, you know what to use. If you want to apply 100% of what you use in growing cases to radial cases, it shouldn't work. There is a dedicated technique, dedicated equipment to go from radial access and it shouldn't take longer and you should be able to deliver the same results.
1: To that point, basically, I think there's a learning curve and same with when I first started doing transradial coronary interventions, it was a learning curve, but it's something that ultimately, will you realize you've got to do it, otherwise you're behind the evidence. So the evidence really pushed all of us to go into the transradial coronary route. I think there's probably going to be that same evidence for peripheral interventions as well. The uh, point about radiation and contrast dose, I mean, I realize this is kind of the same setup that we're used to for our traditional up and over femoral axis kind of interventions. So the staff is used to how they're going to get all the way down to the foot, except now we're accessing through the radial artery. And the main thing is just getting the equipment down to the iliac arteries. And from there, we can put our wires down and do the interventions as we normally would. So these long sheets that we have now that some of the companies are making really facilitate that because now we can get that same level of support that we get from a uh, femoral case to a radial case because our access goes from the radial artery all the way down to the iliac artery, or even some of these can go all to the uh, common femoral artery or even further than that. So they help us do our interventions and provide us with the support for delivering the equipment
0: uh, needed. Thinking about limitations of radial access for peripheral interventions based on the equipment that we have as of today, the largest sheet that we can use is a six French sheet and that cannot accommodate a covered stent, for example. So if you were to use it in Taver to take images and you were to deploy a covered stent, you're not going to be able to do that through the radial access. So that's something that we should keep in mind using radial access in structural cases. Same as paravalvular leak closure, usually it's been used in leaks that are simple where you will need One plug actually can use more than one plug using a six French sheath. But there is a limitation in PVL cases, and I'm talking aortic PVL cases mainly, using a six French sheath. Another limitation is also treating iliac disease. Technically, you can balloon and stent iliac vessels. But traditionally, for iliac vessels, we have to be cautious in case you have a bleed just to have a backup plan. So we usually go from the groin using seven French if the iliac vessels are calcified or there is any risk of perforation so that you can deploy a covered stent because these are not going to go through the six French radial access. And I think within the next few years, with the increased popularity of using radial access and safety and more physicians are getting comfortable with that, I think we're going to have more equipment and these problems will be addressed.
1: In terms of... uh... The types of imaging that we typically do in our intravascular interventions, same adoption that we've been doing in the coronary interventions, we're using a lot of intravascular ultrasound now. And the benefit of that is we can actually see inside the vessel. So when we do an angiogram, we're basically doing a luminogram, right? We're just injecting contrast in the lumen of the artery. But it's always very difficult to actually tell the size of the artery. can't tell the morphology of the uh, plaque and what that's important if it's very calcified, and sometimes you may not be able to really appreciate that on an angiogram, then you may have to do other techniques to modify that plaque, such as atherectomy. We're doing a lot of uh, intravascular ultrasound in our our peripheral interventions, and we actually just recently did a uh, subclavian. In fact, in this patient, we actually did a subclavian intervention as well, and uh, intravascular ultrasound was very important because the subclavian arteries are very big, and we want to make sure that we're using right-sized stents uh, for this artery that was very important for this patient in particular because it was, stenosis was in the proximal subclavian artery, and he had a graft to LAD, prior cabbage, and that stenosis was basically a, causing ischemia to LAD because it wasn't allowing enough blood to go down her graft. We used intravascular ultrasound and, and treated it, used balloons and ultimately put a stent in into that subclavian artery. And we have excellent results. We showed the uh, picture in, in the case report as well. And then the other techniques, like we mentioned, not just drug coated balloons, but atherectomy and the fact that we can use some of these devices, orbital atherectomy in particular, from the radial approach. So we have these long wires and long Equipment uh, devices that can go all the way down to the uh, thermal papillae systems. These are things that you want to make sure that you're getting the most durable results as you can. And I think plaque modification, understanding what what you're treating, is a very important part of that.
0: Just one point to add when we were talking about advice to improve results doing radial peripheral interventions. We definitely believe that it's always better to get DSA images, digital subtraction angiography images. When you do a peripheral angiogram and you inject how we regularly inject in coronary cases, images are not clear because you still see bone. So we definitely recommend using DSA in every case, whether you do a subclavian, carotid or iliac or imaging the legs. Second is selective injections, radial, access for peripheral vessels does really well when you get selective injections. Like Dr. Prasad said, now we have a sheath that actually goes closer to the knee. We have a 149 length sheath and that goes to the knee and almost there. And you have another sheath that goes to the femorals. You can go to the iliacs. So if you inject selective injections, you're going to save the amount of dye you inject. And with DSA, you're going to have better visualization. And fix the table where it is, do the intervention without moving, so you have less injections. If you look at the radiation exposure and the amount of dye you used at the end of the case, it will not be as much, but it all depends on planning and following these rules, I think.
1: Going forward, I would say in in general, people should probably start doing more transradial peripheral interventions. The main limiting factor right now that both mentioned is, is the equipment. So the fact that we now have drug coated balloons that can go all the way down is really an impetus to now start treating at least femoral popliteal vessels from the radial axis. And there's certain equipment that we can't do. So there's limitations that from the radial axis and covered stents are, are one of them. So treating iliac disease where there is possibly a higher risk of having a complication that may require a covered stent, uh, we have to uh, still go the traditional route. But I think it's important to do this because the technology is gonna to continue to advance. And as it has for coronary interventions, I think the same thing will happen for peripheral interventions. And there's just so many benefits to it. Just reducing bleeding risk, we're probably gonna improve even for peripheral interventions, uh, how these patients do in terms of their outcomes after the procedure. So the best thing I think is for people to start adopting it early and doing it for the cases that it's appropriate for. And, and these femoral popliteal interventions very appropriate for those kinds of cases. And I think as the technology grows, you'll have that skill set to work with. so.
0: The peripheral radial sheath comes in two lengths it comes in 119 and 139. Also, going back to the use of radial peripheral interventions in the structural world, one thing that has been used is if you go six French using radial access and you have a growing complication, you can always balloon the vessel, which is the common femoral. Meanwhile, you can get access in the other femoral artery and go up and over. Doing that, then you save the patient the groin access in most cases where you do not need a seven French sheet.
1: This patient did very well with the uh, peripheral arterial interventions. And then we described in the case report, she actually started walking more and then developed chest pain. So we brought her back and found that her subclavian artery was stenosed when we did the coronary angiogram and we treated that and now she's authentication-free and angina-free. We had a really good outcome, I think, with this case. We're doing this more at Loma Linda University and radial to uh, peripheral interventions. Pretty much our standard, I would say over 90% of our cases for coronary interventions are all radial. We're going to continue moving in that direction with uh, peripheral interventions and the technology is helping us and these companies have been very helpful in supporting our cases. So we described some of the equipment that we use, a practical approach to doing a radial to peripheral intervention case. So it's important to know what equipment you need and have it available to this case. So plan ahead of time to do a radial to peripheral case. We all appreciate your interest in this case and what we did here and spreading the good work. Thank you.
0: It was a great discussion. We appreciate this chance to share our experience with you and your listeners. Thank you for allowing us to join you today. Thank you for joining us, and our thanks to Dr. Vinoy Prasad and Dr. Amr Mosin. Find more on CathLabDigest.com.